The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Hello, I am here. Welcome back. Thank you. I have uh, just arrived from the airport after a couple of days in Vancouver doing some television work for an upcoming TV channel that will be appearing on Canadian cable systems. They let you uh, on TV? uh, Yeah, I know. That's how low budget this is. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question. Uh, How much is too much for a chocolate chip cookie in a mini bar? I saw this photo you posted to Twitter. Wasn't it like $1,800 for a cookie? Yeah, it was a seven ounce uh, bottle of Coke uh, for $7.00. And a chocolate chip cookie for nine. Yeah. How high do you have to be to go, I'm willing to pay that? I know. Or how late does it have to be? How long after room service has closed and how long before breakfast is served will you go before you actually tear this thing open? I I got my uh, Tito's handmade vodka for the uh, martini this week. But uh, Geeks and Beats listener Chris B. Scott on Twitter suggested I need to try Slava vodka. Mm, Haven't tried that one. Ever heard of it? Nope. Neither have I. And neither has the local LCBO. Where did he find it? I have no idea. But he he tweeted it and tagged them. So if we're lucky, they'll send me a case. Us a case. Yes. Us a case. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Yoko Ono may have split up the Beatles, but can't take the blame for the state of the Clinton marriage. We'll debunk the latest rumor rounding the Beltway. Apple's self-driving car gets closer to reality with the acquisition of a big brain at a video game graphics card company. YouTube Red. And notice how I said that. YouTube Red. Why there's going to be plenty of green coming the streaming video site's way. Plus, your last chance to win a $400 pair of sweet headphones from Parrot. And why a sex robot conference has been declared illegal. Exterminate! And now, Alan Cross. Michael Hainsworth. Before we go into the rest of the program, I do have to read something from my hometown newspaper. Did you see this? I sent it to you earlier this week. No, no. I I saw on the link that that you love your hometown newspaper, which the hometown is? Stonewall, Manitoba. Population? Uh, About 4,000. When I was growing up, it was about 2,200, 2,300. Population explosion. Oh, yes. Huge. And they have they have two weekly newspapers. They have the Argus and they have the Tribune. Oh, and one day they'll merge to the Argus Tribune like the Gropen Mall. Exactly. My mom, as a birthday present, signed me up for a subscription to the Tribune. And <laughs> I read it every week religiously. It gets delivered to your place in Oak Vegas? Yes, it does. And... I love reading it because there are. it contains stories like this. And it's about my old high school, Stonewall Collegiate Institute. Will you stand above me? Look my way, never love me. Rain keeps falling, rain keeps falling down, down, down. SCI sign causes confusion. Vandals tampered with the sign outside of Stonewall Collegiate Institute last week, leading to irritation and confusion in the community. 
the sign originally read, First Grad Meeting, October 6th, 7 p.m., but the mischief makers rearranged the letters to read, Fart Games, October 6th. The school would like to let the public know that this was a misguided joke and that there are no new games starting up. There's nothing misguided about that. Come on. I, I love... They had to put that in the paper. I just... God, I love my hometown paper. It's just fantastic. You ever wonder what Yoko Ono's up to these days? All right. This was... I, I got nailed on this one. Do you realize that this was a... Uh, this is a, a hoax? This was a hoax. Yoko Ono, quote, I had an affair with Hillary Clinton in the 70s. This isn't real. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hoax. If you go to Snopes.com, I was completely uh, hoodwinked by it. But somebody immediately connected me to the Snopes article and said, no, nah, this is just a, uh, it's, it's, it was a joke. It was, it, no, it's not true. So um, I feel ashamed. Of, however, I did get the story out of USA Today. You got it out of USA Today. I got it out of World News Daily Report, which tells you a lot about where I'm getting my news these days. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so if that's fake, and in fact, she in the 1970s didn't have an affair with the U.S. presidential candidate for the Democrats, did you see this other weird thing that hit the, the wires to uh, this past couple of days? And that was Yoko Ono at some sort of art gallery event where all she was doing was basically screaming. <laughs> I'll have what she's having. That's Yoko. She has been doing that since 1960-something. <laughs> uh, my, my, my favorite audio, we've talked a lot about this, too, the, the isolated audio tracks on particular songs. And if you isolate Yoko Ono from the Beatles, it's a train wreck. Well, we, when she was with John Lennon, John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band, oh, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a hoax. We, we don't need to report that um, of all the things that happened in the 70s no. that will have you shudder today, Yoko Ono and Hillary Clinton are among them. Auto-tune space exploration was the segue, particularly <laughs> because we were segueing from Yoko Ono. This is, uh, this is true. A couple of years ago, somebody auto-tuned Carl Sagan uh, and I think it was from the Pale Blue Dot documentary. And I know it came out on Third Man Records, Jack White's record label, because I bought a copy of the 45. And it was basically him sort of warbling along about how we're on this Pale Blue Dot in this unremarkable corner of the galaxy. And now there's something brand new. This is a same sort of thing with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, by the way, was introduced to astronomy personally by Carl Sagan and Bill Nye, the science guy. So it's called Beyond the Horizon. This is from the Planetary Society. And if you want to play a little bit of it, uh, it goes like this. Audacious visions have the power to alter mind states, to change assumptions about what is possible. Beyond the horizon, beyond the horizon over the next hill, that's where we make discoveries. That's the next frontier. It is in us to work farther and deeper. It's deep within us. That is why we are all here. Over the next hill, beyond the horizon. Neil deGrasse Tyson redoing 
Cosmos must have been a much bigger thing for him than I ever thought, considering it was Carl Sagan who introduced him to the whole idea of astronomy in the first place. Yeah, he was a teenager, and he went up to Cornell to to meet him, and Sagan took him under his arm and, uh, you know, just encouraged him to be this astronomer and this cosmologist, and it was a huge, huge thing for him. And there is this, this straight-line lineage between Sagan and everything that he did and how he tried to popularize science and cosmology and astronomy and Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is the, the, the complete linear spiritual successor of, uh, of Carl Sagan. It's such a shame then that when he redid Cosmos, a space-time odyssey after it was done in the 70s, that he did it with Seth MacFarlane because him flying around in a tinfoil penis across the universe uh, couldn't have been any more phallic than if he was actually flying around in an actual penis. It was a bit weird. There are a couple of things about that series that I didn't really like. Some of the, I, f- I found some of the animation a little facile, a little childish at times. But again, think about what he was trying to do. Nine o'clock on Sunday nights on Fox of all networks, he was trying to bring uh, the wonders of science and astronomy and, and cosmology to to the greater um, to the greater public. And I think that was a, it was a great great project. And uh, I, I think it will go down as a, a very important TV series, probably not as important as the original Cosmos, because we never saw anything like that before it came out. Mm-hmm. But I think this was a, a, a worthy a worthy update. Yeah, I, I disagree. They, they hired Larry Berman, uh, formerly of Star Trek, uh, to do it. And it looked like they kept getting so close to Star Trek, they were worried about being sued and they'd dial it back a notch. Or maybe <laughs> they just ran out of special effects budget because it was so close to the next generation in, in its style and, and its presentation that I just sort of felt that at some point, Jean-Luc Picard would come out and say, make it so. All we had to do was put a visor in front of uh, DeGrasse Tyson's eyes. Yes, exactly. We'd call him Jordy. Hey, what do you make of the uh, new emojis in the iOS 9 update? I haven't gone through much of them. I'm not an emoji person. Are you? I, I'm not an emoji person because I'm not a 13-year-old Asian girl. Uh, Yeah, or, or, or listen, or a 35-year-old Japanese guy. I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just tarnish the entire Japanese culture no, I mean, and blame them for emojis. No, I, I have friends in Asia, and, and I get emails or texts or WhatsApp messages that are almost exclusively emojis. I mean, that's how they how a lot of people will will communicate these days. And I I think it's kind of cool that these new emojis are coming out. Um, I don't think it really does much for, you know, advancing the written word in the English language. But it's, it's kind of cool to have a few things other than, you know, smiley face. The metal horns, which were popularized by Ronnie James Dio, we talked about this a couple of episodes back. Originally, wasn't this meant to be sort of a peace love sign that was mistaken for a heavy metal devil's horn sign? And people don't get it. To hear hear Dio tell the story, it was his grandmother's sign of warding off the evil eye. And he began flashing it when he was, uh, God, I don't know which band he was with. Was it with Elf, with Rainbow, with with Black Sabbath? I can't remember. But uh, it became the devil horns of sign of, of, of metal. But it's actually supposed to be this, this old Italian thing where you're warding off the evil eye. It was called the Maloik. And the Maloik was 
someone's giving us the evil eye, so she's giving it protection against the evil eye. Or you can give someone the evil eye too. So invent it, no, but perfect it and make it important, yes, because I did it so much, especially within the confines of that great band, Sabbath, which had this incredible name already, and you put that together with uh, what people think it is. But for me, because I'm lucky enough to have kind of uh, just have done it so much, it's been more equated with me than anyone else. Although Gene Simmons will tell you that he invented it. It was kind of weird that the poop emoji came before the devil horns emoji. <laughs> Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Apple is poaching an NVIDIA executive for their self-driving car project. So NVIDIA is the uh, graphics chip people. I was at the Consumer Electronics Show this past year in Las Vegas, and NVIDIA had a $500,000 supercar that they had paired up with a car manufacturer. And the NVIDIA Tegra 1 chip was being used to monitor one thousand sensors built into the vehicle itself and put it on a touchscreen display dashboard. Now, they make some pretty powerful chips for graphic devices, don't they? They certainly do. Wow. Okay, so... All right, I think it's safe to say that Apple is actually working on some kind of vehicle, a self-driving car. Let's say it's a self-driving car, because they've got that uh, super secret place in San Francisco, that testing ground in San Francisco. They've been hiring some people from Tesla. Uh, they have been looking at engineers from other automobile manufacturers. So, okay. Okay, so you have an NVIDIA executive. Right, by the name of Jonathan Cohen, who is the director of deep learning, which lay, that's leads his, that's to That's his ex- title? That's his title. Can you imagine that on your business card? Director of deep learning. I like that. I'm going to put that on mine. I don't know what it means, but it just sounds good. The premise, of course, is that this is a technology that learns from its mistakes, learns from its environments. And so him recently selling chips to car manufacturers, which is what NVIDIA has been doing lately to go up against QNX and a whole bunch of others, to poach this guy for Apple is very fascinating. And what's even more interesting is that he documented his move to Apple on his LinkedIn page. Which is the kind of thing that you wouldn't want to do if you wanted to keep something super secret. No, which probably really annoyed Apple to no end. I can imagine. The electric vehicle Apple is allegedly developing is under the codename Project Titan. Yeah, I've heard that. And now that I think about this, poaching uh, a graphics chip executive makes a lot of sense. Because didn't somebody a number of years ago put together some giant incredibly powerful supercomputer that consisted of nothing of PlayStations? Using the NVIDIA graphics chip and and parallel processing them all together. Right. So these are very powerful pieces of technology. Mm -hmm. So whether they're crunching graphics or not. Well, it doesn't have to be graphics. It could be anything. It could be any kind of computations, right? Interesting to note, though, that at the same time that we got this news, the American Automobile Association, AAA, published results of a study that showed that the level of mental distraction tied to using voice commands in your car isn't much less than if you were actually using your finger to type on a keyboard. I understand that. Um, I tried to get Siri to read me some texts the other day. And it got very distracting, and I felt very bad about asking Siri to read me these texts when when I should have been, you know, at 120 kilometers an hour on the highway. Well, I've been using it for dictation of texts. So you're at the stoplight, you hit the button uh, to record on on the... uh, 
on the steering column. And while you're driving, you can send off that text message. And the only thing is, is that you need to reach over and hit the send button physically. I was reading an article about the 2017 Porsche 911s. Okay. And they're coming with a brand new, it's called Porsche Communications Management Interface, which is their new uh, uh, infotainment stack in the middle of the in the dashboard, and it's coming with CarPlay. And uh, one of the things that it does, it's actually got a slot, a a storage area that you slide your iPhone into. Into it's in the center console, hmm. and this whole thing is supposed it's supposed to be gesture based. Um, not even touching it, but just like waving your finger in front of stuff. Right. So, I mean, it's, 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 they say that that's going to be less distracting than having to push buttons all the time, but I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure either. Have you seen this uh, out of Domino's Pizza? I'm now, now that I look back on it, I can't believe that no one has created a purpose-built pizza delivery vehicle up until now. Oh, wait a minute, with the dog barking in the background, do you have a pizza guy at no, the front door? No, you see, we mentioned, we said the P word. That's one. Oh, <laughs> so her, her pizza and immediately started barking. Yeah, they know that word. Yeah. Um, but this is really kind of cool. So it, it's, uh, it's a Chevrolet Spark. And what they've basically done is customized it so you have uh, like a pizza warming oven in the back. It looks like a Johnny Cab. Uh, yeah, it does, actually. Now that you mention it. But this is a really cool idea. I mean, you know, it would take a large corporation like Domino's to be able to do something like this. But uh, if one of these things pulled into my driveway with a uh, hot, uh, you know, pepperoni and mushroom, and I, it'd be pretty cool. So the only major difference is, is that you can get access to this pizza from the exterior. Um, other than that, it's basically a Chevy Spark. Yeah, it is. But this, I guess, replaces those stupid thermal bags that they have to carry around. And a lot of, you know, the thing about uh, pizza delivery guys is they often have to use their own vehicles and they just stick the little thing on the top. And that creates all kinds of insurance issues because all of a sudden a private vehicle is be being used for commercial use. So now if you have a franchise that's uh, sufficiently that has, I guess, a volume that is sufficiently high enough, you can have one of these vehicles, which you know uh, is, is a rolling advertisement for your franchise. And it's also a... a, a a dodge on, on some of the uh, insurance issues that your drivers will have to deal with. The pizza oven mounted on the side panel of the driver's side is locked and connected to the driver's key fob to ensure that somebody doesn't sneak over and grab a couple of uh, Zaws as they're walking past while the delivery itself is being made. The DXP can hold up to 80 pizzas in its, in its oven. Well, think about all those corporate events and all those, uh, you know union negotiation events where you need 40 pizzas to feed everybody that's there. This would work. This would be fantastic. I mean, I was at something that last week and we had uh, 35 pizzas delivered and it was one, you know, with this guy coming in with, uh, you know, all these, you know, he, they were stacked on the, on the, on the um, passenger seat. They were stacked on the back seat. It wasn't very good. Something like this, on the other hand, would be a much more efficient way of delivering pizzas 
uh, to the customers without having them get cold or get all sloppy all over the place. 100 of these vehicles will hit 25 different markets over the next three months, including Boston, Detroit, Houston, San Diego, Seattle. Mm, Nothing for Canada. Too bad. No. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. This is your last week to get in on our fantastic giveaway of the Parrot Zik 2.0 headphones and knowing that the only way you can win is by being either a member of the world's worst intern program or a co-producer on the show, Mike Frizzell. pledged $25 an episode. So he's not only a co-producer on this week's show, and we get to talk about him and give him the album art that he can print off and frame and hang in his parents' basement, but that gives him 25 raffle tickets alongside Peter J. Harris, who's donating a buck an episode, Mike Lee, uh, Crystal Brown, James Waite, who also donated 25 bucks an episode with a $0 lifetime limit, means that he is the co-producer of this show until further notice. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, we do appreciate the support. This does cost money. This program does cost money. We do not sell our any kind of ad- advertising. We only uh, we rely on the kindness of strangers to keep this thing going. So there's a good chance that um, Mr. Frizzell will be a winner of the Parrot Zik 2.0 headphones. At least he's got 25 raffle tickets for the interns who only have one. And uh, this is the last week you get a chance to get in. My favorite uh, feature on this, we've talked about this before, in addition to it speaking who's calling you, and it's got an app that gives you a highly customizable EQ system. It has the street mode that drowns out the hum of the world but lets sounds in using what is a touch-sensitive earphone side thingy stuff. I wish I had had a pair of these headphones on my flight from Vancouver today. Because it because it drowns out the ambient? There was a woman next to me who, uh, she got on the plane. Well, she was sitting in the middle seat. I was in the middle row of a 777. She was sitting in the middle seat, and she put some eye shades on and went right to sleep. And the drool and the snoring that came out of her oh. for the next three and a half hours, I really wish I had a pair of Zik 2.0 headphones. They're Bluetooth as well, so you don't have a, a nasty cord hanging around you, and you can use them for your PC as well as your smartphone or, or your, your stereo system in and to itself. It does have a, a wired connector as well, so you could use this as a standard plug-in uh, type thing too. So uh, we want to say thank you to everyone who has uh, supported the show, and our way of saying thank you is putting your name in the raffle uh, for this. We've got a bunch of other things coming up over the course of the next little while, and again, the only way that you could actually win anything on the big show is by supporting it by becoming a member of the World's Worst Intern Program. And what makes it the Worst Intern Program is you pay us to work on the show, and you don't actually do anything on the show other than give us your money. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got a tweet here from Snapshot regarding something that we talked about last week because we are going to be this coming weekend, uh, the 1st of November, Sunday, November 1st, we are going to be at the Toronto Downtown Record Show live on location. If you'd like to come down and see how the sausages are made, by all means, be there for 11 a.m. Eastern Time uh, in Toronto. Go to the website. We've got it all there. But we mentioned last week that you have a holy grail list of records you're searching for. We never actually got to talking about what's on that list. I'll give you two. You're not going to tell us all of them? Well, no, I can't. I've got a list somewhere in the house. I don't know where it is, but I'll, I'll tell you the two that I really, really want. 
One is, and this is a fairly common one, it's uh, the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, on A&M Records. Now, why is that special? The Sex Pistols were signed to A&M Records for all of five days. During that time, there was a hue and cry from the shareholders and other artists on the label who didn't want the Sex Pistols to be on the label. So they were fired. They were told to go away. They were given about $75,000 to, uh, to disappear. During those five days, though, what they had done, what A&M had done, is pressed up an undetermined number of copies of the band's first single, God Save the Queen. When they were fired after five days, all those records were ordered destroyed. However, an undetermined number were spirited away from the record pressing plant and uh, are now trading for many thousands of dollars. Mm. So it has to be the real deal. It can't be one of the copyright ones. But there are, I've heard differing numbers anywhere from a hundred to 300 copies of these things, but they can sell for up to $25,000 a piece. And what's the other one? The other one is, is kind of weird. It is a uh, soundtrack to a film called Cha-Cha that goes back to about 1978 or 1979, uh, featuring people like Nina Hagen and Herman Brood. It was a really weird movie. Uh, Nina Hagen was an East German uh, new wave opera type singer who uh, managed to escape to the West and became a real interesting avant-garde uh, performer in the in the late 70s and, and through the 80s. All right, so you're looking for that album. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a, uh, a copy of, of the Cha-Cha soundtrack in, on vinyl in, in, in good condition. Any any particular reason why does this film mean something to you? I'm looking it up on the on the Intertron right now, and and it's uh, about a bank robber who tries to go straight by becoming a rock and roll star. Yeah, um, it was one of those records that uh, I listened to late into the night with some friends when I was going to university. It's just a there's no particular reason for me to have this record other than the fact that I remember having. Uh, my friend who had it, and, and we just loved listening to this record, listening late at night uh, when we were in, in, in school. Geeks and Beats update on uh, the new Star Wars 7 film coming out. Uh, have you seen the the new trailer they posted or or the poster? Uh, I haven't seen the poster. No, I no. why? What's the poster? Conspicuous by its absence. Luke Skywalker is not on the poster. I have heard that there well in the trailer you see i guess this mechanical hand right yep which is supposed to be well you'd think it'd be luke right because he had his hand whacked off yep uh oh that came out wrong um but yeah he's not in the oh okay so so when 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 the trailer came out a lot of people parsed it like scene by scene by scene oh yeah and the 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 absence of luke has caused uh, much concern amongst the Star Wars faithful. Geeks and Beats listener Albert says that his prediction is the new Sith in Star Wars 7 is Luke Skywalker. Well, there mm. is uh, a few things going on. Um, I have heard that maybe the Jedi are actually the bad guys. Oh, that's an interesting twist. Yes. Which would explain why Luke may very well be the guy behind the mask. Yes. Whose name so. is Kylo Ren or something like Kylo Ren? Yeah. Uh, speaking of the dark side, Apple's facing a $5 million class action lawsuit over a feature you and I discussed in a recent episode called Wi-Fi Assist. 
Okay, I don't know anything about this. Wi-Fi Assist is when you're on a Wi-Fi network on the new iPhone or or the new iPhone operating system, iOS 9, and it realizes that the Wi-Fi signal is too weak, it will switch over to cellular even though you're supposed to be on Wi-Fi. Right, okay. So the lawsuit, the class action, is over the Wi-Fi Assist using too much of your cellular data and people getting big phone bills. Oh, I think I turned this off. Yeah, I turned it off on, on mine as well because it was flipping over to the, the cellular on, on a fairly frequent basis, but not often enough. I didn't find it useful enough. They got to tweak it clearly. Yeah. The, Apple is, is seeing these class action lawsuits mount. Um, they've got one on the go as well over drop signals. There's another one over the bend gate. Still? With the original iPhone 6 still. That's still working its way through the courts. And kids spending too much money on in-app purchases. Well, that's been going on for a very long time. Right. The new version of the operating system clamps down on that, but that doesn't help the parent who racked up $1,200 worth of in-app purchase charges because little Johnny decided that he needed more coins. I knew somebody that had the Simpsons game, and they spent uh, many, many, many dollars on donuts. Wifey, on her uh, Bejeweled Blitz, I calculated it. She has spent upwards of $250 on Bejeweled Blitz-related jewels or whatever it is. See, anytime I see in-app purchase, I run because I, I know that I, I'll, I'll fall for something and then just end up buying a whole bunch of stuff that I don't really need, like a whole bunch of donuts right. that uh, to, to just so I can play the stupid Simpsons game. Well, when the little one, my nine-year-old, comes in, she wants a, a free app, I first thing I do is check to see if there are in-app purchases. And I warn her, listen, I'm not paying for the in-app purchases. If you want the in-app purchases, that's coming out of your allowance money, little girl. Oh, yes. And you know what? She's all over that. She's completely cool with that, which is great because one thing as a personal finance guy that um, we try to teach parents is that you treat the kid's allowance not as an adjunct to the money you're spending on their behalf, but as an alternative. If you want to swing by the variety store on your way home from school to buy a bag of chips, that's your chip money, little girl. We're not paying for the for the snack that you want on the way home kind of thing. Yeah. And it's a similar sort of thing with the apps. Yeah, okay, you can have a bag of chips or you can buy some donuts for your Simpsons game. Exactly. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. You've got an update on the way, not the way we consume music in this country, I suppose, but the way in which our consumption is tabulated. Album charts, or any kind of music charts, are the way the industry keeps score. It is the metrics for success. They're always tweaking the things that go into ranking songs or albums on a chart. And there will be a big change this coming week when there are some uh, adjustments to the way information is tabulated for the top Canadian albums chart, okay? Uh, Our new name for the chart will be the Billboard Canadian Albums. It will not only will it tally up all the physical and digital sales as before, but it's also going to incorporate streaming and equivalent track sales into its bucket of measurements. And I'll come back to that in just a second. This is going to be the biggest change to our album chart since, uh, well, for God, uh, 20 years when Canada finally acquired SoundScan, which is the point of sale data collection that uh, you know didn't count an album until it was actually scanned at the cash register. So here, because we've seen a number of things change with consumer behavior, uh, they've needed, they're going to have to update everything. So streaming is a big one. Consumers are, are, are buying less music. 
opting to stream whatever material they want through, you know, Spotify and RDO and Google Play Music and all the rest of them. So SoundScan says that they need to alter its methodology if it's going to provide an accurate picture of what the public is is looking at any particular week. So what you've got for us today are two new TLAs, three-letter acronyms. Yes. (laughs) The new charts will take into account something known as track equivalent albums. T-E-A's. Even if there are 15 on the full album, I'm considered to have bought the full album at 10. Exactly, because um, nobody is buying full albums anymore, at least not in the numbers that they used to. But if you buy at least 10 tracks from one album, that will count the same as if you bought the whole thing. And the other TLA is? It's S-E-A, or Stream Equivalent Albums. So if songs, any songs from any album are streamed at least 1,500 times, that will count as one sold album under the old regime. That's an interesting specific number, 1,500 times. I don't know why they decided on that number, but uh, this is something that the U.S. has been doing for about a year. So the U.S. charts have been being tallied using TEAs and SEAs for about a year now. So we have precedent. We have precedent. And if you have noticed where the American charts, if you compare, like I do it every week, I compare the American charts to the Canadian charts, and you begin to see some really big differences about where albums rank. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're using this different methodology. We are finally going to be using the same methodology. So our charts may become more in line with what we're seeing in the U.S. Or maybe not. Maybe they'll become further apart. A lot going on in this world recently, not the least of which is that YouTube has launched a, what, $10 a month commercial free version of its uh, service called YouTube Red. Yes. And I don't think they thought their cunning plan through with the name. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, Bono's probably going, hmm, I have a charity called Red. You don't want Grandma going to RedTube.com. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Very, uh, very astute. Um, Although I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of that. Yes, you have no idea. I'm going to type into Google YouTube Red and see if it comes up with what I think it's going to come up with. YouTube Red. Yeah, yeah, that, that that website's in there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Oh. Let's okay. just keep moving along. Yeah, we won't. Uh... It uh, officially launches on the day of this particular broadcast, uh, Wednesday, October 29th. A seismic shift in the way media is consumed online, you write. Yeah. Um, Why? Ad-free video viewing for $9.99 a month. No more of those annoying pre-roll commercials. No more of those ads that gunk up the lower third of the video window. Who's going to spend that kind of cash? I don't know. Well, wait a second. There's a couple of things here that might attract people. If you pay, you'll be able to cash whatever media you want. You can download it. Down, well, you can download it and, and, and watch it uh, offline. Okay. Uh, and the other thing is that you end up getting a... Uh, uh, you get uh, access to Google's streaming music service, Google Play Music as well. Maybe I don't understand the the way people today are using YouTube, but caching a video for offline viewing doesn't strike me as the kind of thing you'd do unless it was episodic television or a film. Uh, watching kitty cats ride a Roomba doesn't strike me as the kind of thing you're going to cache and therefore want to spend $10 a month so you can avoid the advertisement for a Roomba off the top. No, but this is where YouTube is going. There are a lot of documentaries, like 90-minute documentaries, two-hour documentaries uh, available on YouTube freely that I, frankly, would have loved to have been able to watch them when I was on the plane today. 
So if I could cash something like that, I, you know, all of a sudden it's 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 I'm kind of interested. So you point out that if only one in 10 YouTube users actually signed up for this, this would give YouTube a huge subscriber base. A fantastically huge subscriber base. Where is that? Uh, let me just click on this link here. These fantastical stats about YouTube. Well, you're saying that it'll be bigger than Spotify, 100 million versus 20 million, which is also bigger than the subscriber numbers on Apple Music, which brings us to the idea that perhaps one of the big reasons why people might use YouTube is not for watching video, but for listening to music. Absolutely. There are roughly 1.1 billion videos on YouTube. There are roughly 7.8 trillion all-time views. Wow. Of the 1.1 billion views, just 5.3% are roughly 59 million of the videos on YouTube have 10,000 views or more. And these videos have generated a cumulative 7.4 trillion views, or about 95% of all views. So I gave you a bunch of numbers there. But the bottom line is YouTube as a music discovery service. Five out of every 100 videos is responsible for 95% of all the views? Yes. Wow. Yes. And a lot of those are music videos. Nobody's watching my kitty cat videos. Nobody's watching your kitty cat videos and nobody is watching uh, some of the other stuff that I've put up on YouTube. This is, uh, I, I'm firmly in the 95% uh, of those are not being watched. My daughter is huge on watching other people play Minecraft. Well, that's the other thing. What's with that guy's name? Um... There's a bunch of them. There's Stampy Long Nose. There was this one guy who earned $12 million last year just being a snarky video game commentator. So it'll be interesting to see how guys like that make their money when someone who otherwise would sit through an advertisement before watching their video won't have to do that. Well, this that's a big seismic shift for a lot of these people because they have been automatically get, been getting money based on the number of views that their videos have been getting. Now, I don't think YouTube has actually let everybody know how the money, the subscription money, is going to be distributed. No. So this guy who makes $12 million a year commenting on video games, you know, is he going to make that kind of money going forward in this in this new world? Or, but, you know, but then again, there's still the, the, the ad-supported version of it. So um, who knows? This... I think it's interesting because of the offline capability and because you get Google Play Music at the same time. This is going to be a big, big boost for anybody who uses Android. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, there will be a dedicated music app that comes as part of the launch of Red. And YouTube announced anyway that they've got this dedicated app that'll be released down the road that'll make it easier for customers who only want to use the service as a music player, which also means that YouTube Music Key, which was their subscription music service, well, forget about it. That's dead, according to The Verge. Who is it? It's the plumber. This was an article that you insisted we discuss. You cannot blame me for dragging us into yet another discussion on sex robots. This is something my wife sent to me. I don't know why. Maybe she's trying to. Maybe she's trying to tell you something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe she is. But whatever the case is, uh, we... <laughs> well, so here's how it works. Uh, there was a sex robot conference. The sex robot conference was declared illegal. This was being held in Malaysia. And they were concerned that, well, it was made illegal because... The inspector general of the police in Malaysia said that they thought that it was an inappropriate 
type of thing to have in their country. Well, I've been to Malaysia and they're a bit uptight and they were actually concerned that people might have sex with robots at a sex, ro sex robot conference. <laughs> Live demonstrations is what they were worried about? I, I guess. I don't know. I don't I don't think, you know, much like we're nowhere near hoverboards. I don't think we're near sex bots, uh, but it is they are coming. They are on, on their way. It's the second International Congress on Love and Sex with Robots that will be postponed until 2016. They already had one of these. This is the second one? I missed the first one. Yeah. Uh, apparently, um, one of the authors of a book titled Love and Sex with Robots, The Evolution of Human-Robot Relationships, which focuses on the brain as well as the software side and the algorithms necessary to make you feel like this is something more than just rubber, I suppose, <laughs> or whatever, or, or whatever it is they'll use, um, is talking about how a lot of the technology that's, um, and, and this is really an unfortunate choice of terms that he's using, that's incubating in his lab will be integrated with robots in the future. And he's developing hardware that would be used in robots that would become our friends and lovers and even sexual partners. Do you remember the uh, episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where Data and uh, Tasha Yar almost got it on? Uh, no. No, no, no. Data was programmed, I think, in 98, uh, what's it, 98 different variations of uh, sexual pleasure, Congress. Yeah, you are fully functional, aren't you? Of course, but... How fully? In every way, of course. I am programmed in multiple techniques. A broad variety of pleasuring. Oh, you jewel. That's exactly what I hoped. And, and, and they got rid of Trisha Yar. Why? Um, because uh, she got tired of Jean-Luc Picard and she quit the show. Really? Yeah. No, she left after like a season and a half or something. She was all swallowed up by goo, wasn't she? I'm not going to go anywhere near that. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.